show tonight with a confession. I have something to say. I think a lot of you feel it. Most of you just need to hear someone say it first. And it takes a big man to confess things, and I am that big man. I kind of, sort of, absolutely miss Urban Meyer in the SEC. I said it, and if anyone else feels the same way, you can chime in. I know a lot of you are going to claim you don't feel the same way, but you do. I did indeed watch episode one of the Netflix doc, Swamp Kings, starring the 06 to 09 Florida Gators. Producer Jesse and I, first time we've ever watched something together. Maybe the last time, but I did enjoy myself. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. We're jam-packed high atop a gorgeous downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's already August 22nd. It's Tuesday night, August 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2023. This time next week, we'll be getting ready to fly to Utah for week one, featuring the Florida Gators and Utah Utes. But in the meantime, a lot of team whispers and intel and just good old-fashioned scoop to deliver to you tonight. Been combing our team insiders coast to coast, and I got some stuff you need to know about tonight. As I said, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that Netflix doc. I am not going to spoil things. Some, some said I spoiled portions of the Johnny Manziel documentary to which I say that doesn't sound like me. So check the tape on that. Uh, I've got LSU predictions tonight. I've got Texas predictions. I've got a very, very interesting, uh, about a month and a half ahead of schedule opinion on FSU Clemson that I think is going to be a main topic of conversation come game week, but it's, it doesn't take that long. We can already see where this is headed, friends. They're watching us in El Paso, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, Vero Beach, Florida, Maryville, Tennessee. Thank you so much. Do you know that when I came on this show the other night and I said, check to make sure if you're subscribed, because a lot of you think you're subbed and you're not, you know we got like 1,500 subs when I did that? So Director Colin and I huddled up today and he said, you know what I think you should do? What's that, Colin? Um, do the same thing again. Here is my ask to you. My friends, please check and make sure you're subscribed to the channel, because if you're not, we are about 2,500 subs away from the magic 200,000 sub threshold. Um, I don't know what else to say to you other than if we don't make it, if we don't make it to 200,000 subs by kickoff of week one, management wins. Please help us get to 200,000 subs by week one. Let's dive in. We got a jam-packed show tonight. I got a lot of football to talk about. Got some entertainment to talk about and, and everything in between. Now, before I start, I did see the article. A lot of you were DMing me about this. I saw the New York Post article. Yeah, I saw what, what anonymous sources were saying about the playoff and about how the SEC and the Big Ten are about to strong arm any other conference and threaten them to keep their mouth shut if they know what's good for them when it comes to renegotiating the playoff. I'm not leading the show with it tonight. I'm not doing the show on it tonight. And the reason why is because it would just be a great big I told you so fest. And I, it's just not me. You guys know. I hate telling you I told you so. I mean, far be it for me. Hoomst wants to stand here and listen to me parrot at the mouth about what I warned you about two years ago. Not me. Certainly not me. So let's talk about Camp Intel instead. Colin, here's a good end point for you. We got teams getting ready. I mean, South Carolina is about to play North Carolina in week one. And yet I'm looking at the injury situation at South Carolina. That's where I want to start tonight. They got a big first three weeks in Columbia. So they play North Carolina in Charlotte to open the season. And then they turn around and go to Georgia a couple of weeks later. So it's kind of like Utah. Their schedule is a little bit front-loaded in that way. South Carolina's schedule is just loaded. There's no front, middle, or back to it. But keep an eye on the injury situation here. So Shane Beamer has been talking about Jalen Nichols. He's going to miss a majority of the season. That's the offensive tackle that got hurt in the spring. So that's not news to us. We knew about that. But we're keeping an eye on Juice Wells, the wide receiver there got a lower body situation. He hasn't been full contact in practice. He is an integral part of their passing game. Now, again, I can only go on what Shane Beamer tells us publicly, and he says he thinks he's going to be able to play, so keep an eye on that. Uh, Anthony Goodlow, the defensive... Actually, I'm looking to throw <laughs> the complete wrong sheet. I'm going to talk to you about Goodlow in just a second, but also Trey Knox. Remember when they got him out of the transfer portal at tight end? Uh, he's also been dealing with an injury. Now, as I always tell you in camp, Guys missing practice is not ideal, but it's also not signifying the end of the world because a lot of them have injuries to the effect that the training staff and the coaching staff have said, all right, forget camp, forget practice after camp. Let's just, let's timetable this thing out and let's track for them to be ready for week one. That's what they're doing with these guys. It's not hundred percent. They'll be ready for week one. And if they're not, 
This is a low margin for error team this year. Going to be a lot of close games uh, that could swing a football game for them. Rattler, though, Spencer Rattler, good things, hearing good things about him out of fall camp. That's not a surprise. It's a de facto contract year. It's a legacy year for Spencer Rattler. But Lenoris Sellers is another guy I just want to put on your radar. You're, unless Spencer Rattler gets hurt, you're not going to have to worry about Lenoris Sellers this year. Uh, Lenora Sellers is to them what Drew Aller was to Penn State last year. He is a highly rated player. He was a composite four-star guy out of, I think, the Florence area in the last cycle. He is the quarterback of their future there. They love what they've seen from him in fall camp so far. So just tuck that away. You don't need to know about him this year unless something happens injury-wise. But come spring of next year, Lenora Sellers, that's a name to be on your radar in Columbia. All right, next up. You remember when the transfer portal started going crazy as it does every January and February? And you remember when a whole lot of guys just said, nope, I'm done. Goodbye, Mike Gundy. I'm out of here. No more Stillwater, Oklahoma for me. And people wrote the obituary for Oklahoma State, including odds makers. Their total is like six and a half or something like that, I think, for the start of the season here. Well, I told you at the time, no, this is not great. And, and Spencer Sanders moved on, the quarterback. He went to Ole Miss. So no, it wasn't great. However. I told you there was this quiet but steady drumbeat from Stillwater, and they kept saying the same thing. Don't necessarily focus on the quantity of guys leaving here. Look at the net quality of guys who are leaving versus the ones we're bringing in. Now, Mike Gundy eventually just said that publicly in not so many words. Well, lo and behold, we get into fall camp, and some of the returns we're hearing, especially on the defensive line, is not only do they think they're as good as they were last year, they think they improved from last year. And that's because of guys like Justin Kirkland out of the portal. Now, you know where he came from? He came from Utah Tech. And oh, most of you are intimately familiar with Utah Tech's program. I don't sell my audience short. But for those of you who don't know Utah Tech, including us, because we couldn't find their logo a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Dixie Valley State back in the day. Um, change had to happen for some reason or another. Uh, he came from there, but he's 6'4", 350. So if you want a centerpiece, it's just a rising sophomore, by the way, if you want a centerpiece on that defensive line at Oklahoma State, look no further this year. They have gotten great things out of him in fall camp. They love, here he is, Anthony Goodlow from, or uh, yeah, he's from Tulsa, so he didn't have to drive far, but he's at defensive end. They got two returning defensive linemen. So if you're looking for difference-making units there, if those guys stay healthy, Oklahoma State looks pretty formidable up front. Now that's going to be news to people who think that they're going to be I don't know, I mean, like toilet paper thin because of the transfer portal. Not necessarily. It is interesting that Mr. Bowman, Alan Bowman, has not completely taken control of the quarterback race yet, but I'm just here to talk about defense tonight. We move on. I'm not just talking about defense here. Oregon, you know, preseason JP poll number five, Oregon. I have it on good authority, and the authority is my email inbox. I have it on good authority that some of you think Oregon is too thin on the offensive line this year. And your reasoning is, well, they lost four starters. Okay. Um, what else? That's what I've been asking. In fact, I've been replying very rudely, those two words. What else? And you guys have, in some cases, come back and you've said, no, I mean, that's, that's tough. That's 20, 40, it's 80% of your offensive line starters. Stats and info checked. You're right. But here's what else I happen to know. They actually feel great about their offensive line. It's one of the key reasons that I differ from the AP when it comes to Oregon right now. I don't just view offensive line as a weakness. I don't just view it as maybe a net wash. I think they're a strength. I think they're actually good on the offensive line. And then, lo and behold, I'm listening to, listening to some of the coaches talk up there seven or eight deep. Yeah, we feel actually really good about the quality of player and the depth that we have on the offensive line. Josh Connerly was a former five-star a couple of cycles ago. He'll figure into this thing heavily. They got a transfer from Texas. They got, there's a kid that transferred from Rhode Island, uh, Johnny Cornelius. You can laugh at Rhode Island all you want to. Uh, he's good. They like him. And so Oregon, you know how I feel about them defensively. I think they'll be massively upgraded, especially the personnel they have up front. I think the offensive line is going to be pretty good this year, too. So I got line of scrimmage checked off. I, I certainly have quarterback checked off. I just think Oregon's a lot better than folks think they are, especially in the AP. Uh, you know, I, I have not talked to you about Illinois this fall or this, this summer. Luke Altmyer has won the starting quarterback job up there at Illinois. That's not a surprise. 
Brett Bielema stepping up and saying, this is the best we've ever felt at quarterback. Maybe a mild surprise, but maybe not. But they were 95th last year in offensive points per game, and we're still a really good team. This is like the quietest, sleepiest, sneakiest division contender in college football. Get your kids ready to talk about Illinois a little bit this year. They like what they have on the offensive line. They got three wide receivers they like. They got a couple of running backs they like. Luke Altmeyer is playing really good football for them in camp. And um, they're over under six and a half wins. Uh, they won, what, eight or nine last year, Jesse? And so Illinois is over there in the Big Ten West. We still got division play one more year. You know what else? I'm going to talk about it later in the show. You know, Penn State's first road game is at Illinois. Let's, let's, let's not tiptoe in there. You better be forceful when you go in there. Uh, Drew Aller's first game on the road going to be against Illinois. Not an easy out this year. And another one that I was curious about, and we did some digging around on today, is Brigham Young. You remember Keaton Slovis? Feels like he's played about 14 places. Keaton Slovis is now at Brigham Young. And he's probably about to turn 30 next month. Probably not the only guy on Brigham Young's team about to hit the 3-0. There's a lot of excitement around him. He's finally healthy. So that's one reason to be excited about him. Team loves him. Coaches love him. It feels like he's kind of meshed there more so than any other place he's been. They feel like they upgraded offense everywhere around quarterback. And they were kind of waiting to see, what is Keaton Slovis? Like, what's he going to be here? Well, they were 44th in points per game last year offensively. They feel like they can be better than that this year. They're entering Big 12 play. And, I mean, Jeff Hansen over at, over at um, yeah, Cougar Sports Insider. I had to make sure I had the website right. Saying good things. Saying really good things. Jeff's not, Jeff's not going to blow smoke, especially not our way. So... Everybody asking, could Central Florida make a splash in the Big 12? Uh, Houston, probably not this year. Could it be, well, maybe it's Brigham Young. Cincinnati? No, maybe it's Brigham Young this year. Uh, you got four newcomers to worry about out there. So Camp Intel continues to come in by the truckload. Those are some things I wanted to put on your radar tonight. Speaking of putting things on radars, we have a very deep marketing department here, and it's you. So we don't actually have a marketing department for Late Kick. In fact, when the company asks, what do you need? You need billboards? What you need? We're good. Let me show you why we're good. We're giving away Chalai of Supremacy. We're giving away a new one or two of these per show. These are Chalai of Supremacy. For those new to the show, Chalai is simply the plural form of chalice. Put an I with that weird exclamation mark on the end of anything, and it makes it plural. Just a grammatical rule. Don't ask me how. I think it's Latin. So anyway, all you have to do to garner one of these is promote our show very publicly. And people have found the most creative ways to do it. So check out what our buddy Javion Smith did. He's an 18-wheeler. He's just a tractor-trailer driver. So what he did was he just plastered advertisement for our show on the side of his truck. He said, I drive a large semi all over 48 states. I've had a lot of people honk their horns with a thumbs up. Javion, you will be now driving with a chalice of supremacy. The strongest caffeinated beverage you can find can be in the center console, and you will be drinking it, sir, out of one of these. He has already sent us his shipping info. Chalice on the way. Next up was Clint Collins. Now, speaking of Collins, Colin has uploaded a couple of photos here. This is as simple and as effective as it gets. When you are giving away lemonade and you're giving away ice cream sammies, which is the plural of sandwich, of course, and you've got really cute kids holding up advertisement claiming that you're going to get free ice cream sammies if you subscribe to this YouTube channel. It can't go wrong. And so Clint employed the entire family there under an Academy Sports and Outdoors tent, no less. Just, just hit the trifecta there for us. And a lot of subs were had on this day and a lot of ice cream sammies. So to Clint and the entire family, chalice of supremacy on the way for you guys. We really appreciate it. Chalai Giveaway August has been a wild success, and I am about to be on back order, so we're going to have to order more, but that's fine. That's okay. I appreciate you guys watching live. If you are, make sure you subscribe to the channel. And if you're watching the replay, ditto. So the Swamp Kings documentary, four parts have dropped on Netflix. It chronicles the mid to late 2000s Florida teams under Urban Meyer. I watched episode one right next to producer Jesse, because it carries a TVMA rating, so he needed parental guidance. So I watched along with producer Jesse, and I got some thoughts. I'm, I'm not spoiling things for you, 
But if you think that you can't trust me and I'm going to spoil it for you, I don't know, read the comments if you're watching the replay and see if I did. So I'll tell you what this brought back such vivid memories of. The hire of Urban Meyer, when they brought him in from Utah, you've got Urban on camera. I told you guys, cast and creative are the keys in docs. Cast, who can you get on the record to talk? They got Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow and those guys on the record. So that's all well and good. And the creative, what are you allowed to show? That remains to be seen because I'm only through episode one. I know, I know that it takes some twists and turns down there over the years. But when Urban Meyer came into the SEC, there was a way of doing things down here. It had been done the same way for a long time with, you know, just small little, little minor adjustments here and there. But there was SEC football. And then a guy from Utah comes in and everyone thinks that the SEC is about to teach him a lesson. And the way your mind remembers it is Urban Meyer just came in and dominated. Eventually he did. That first year he did not. That first year went pretty sideways. And what it emphasized to me so much is we all know how it ended up. He went 65 and 15 there, uh, won a couple of national championships, had five top five finishes. And yet you look back and you listen to him and others tell the story about the pressure and the criticism he had in year one, that stuff's so stupid to me sometimes. You can't change reality, okay? Reality is what it is. Norvell's dealt with it at Florida State the last few years. Napier's dealing with it at Florida right now. Sark's dealing with it at Texas. It takes the amount of time it takes to implement new culture, new systems, turn things around, okay? And no matter how bad a fan base wants it to happen overnight, it doesn't change what reality is. If you've got a 24-month rebuild, if you've got a 36-month rebuild, it's going to take that long. And the only way you can change that is to cut corners. And if you cut corners, it's penny-wise pound foolish, and yet people lose all perspective on Saturdays in the fall when it comes to that. And he dealt with it, and a lot of other coaches have dealt with it. But what I started thinking, when I started watching some of that conditioning when I started watching some of those mat drills that they brought down there to Gainesville, when I started watching the, the midnight to 2.15 a.m. workouts, when I started watching Urban Meyer try and torch the barn and kill the rats, which in and of itself is probably an HR violation of a statement now, I started to ask myself how much of what he did to weed out the weak would not be allowed now. 50 percent. 60%, 70%. I mean, Tebow's on camera saying, this was awesome. I loved it. We probably went a little too far. And by modern standards, they probably did. I, I watch it, though, and there was a, that was a great quote. It's, it's, it's a contextual quote, so even if I give it to you now, you'll, you'll still be able to enjoy it in its full effect when you watch episode one. But there was an Urban Meyer... Not just a quote, there was an Urban Meyer philosophy that I'm going to treat my stars like stars and I'm going to treat my crap like crap. The snap is because I had to edit for language so the kiddos can still listen to the show. Well, you can't tell people that anymore, can you? Producer Jesse got worked up over this. Management walked in. Um, management stayed here all the way to like 4.30 p.m. today. It was wild. I don't know what was happening. He must have fallen asleep at his desk. So anyway, management's on the way out. He comes in and says... All right, guys, I'll see you later. And he shook our hand and then he, you know, put hand sanitizer on afterwards. And he said, what are you guys watching? We said, oh, we're doing show prep. We're watching Swamp Kings. What is that? And so we show him and Jesse said, oh, man, in these PC times, you could never get away with this. And I'm like, welcome to the party, producer Jesse. And he's right. Now, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I would argue it's half and half. It's a little of both. But man... There, there used to be times where you could just call a loser a loser, and you could, you could really um, you could structure your organization based solely on merit, and there was really no in-between. Like That was one of the things I took away. There was no middle ground with Florida or many successful organizations. There was no middle ground. You weren't doing pretty good. You were either penthouse or outhouse, and you were treated as such. And the follow-up to that quote, I'm going to treat my stars like stars, I'll treat my crap like crap is if you want a change in your outcome, change your process, change the results you're giving me. It's really that simple. The Tim Tebow recruitment was the most important recruitment in the history of college football. I cannot overstate for those of you who are 15 and you're not old enough to remember the impact of Tim Tebow's recruitment. It comes down to Florida and it comes down to Bama 
Urban Meyer's lost multiple games his first year. Folks are openly doubting him. They want Steve Spurrier back. Spurrier's at South Carolina, and Florida's like, no, no, come home. Come home, Dad. Come home. We don't even know who this is. He just came from Utah. He hasn't even fully unpacked his U-Haul. It's not too late. And there's this kid playing for Nice High School down there, and it's Tim Tebow. And he goes on to become like the number one quarterback in the nation. And it comes down to Florida and Alabama. And I am telling you, if Alabama lands him, Mike Shula does good enough to where they don't fire him. Nick Saban never ends up at Alabama. That's one gigantic piece of this puzzle. Gigantic piece number two is if Urban Meyer doesn't land Tim Tebow, knowing the impact player he was, Urban Meyer himself is admitting, I'm probably fired not too long after that if we don't land him. And then part three is like, Think about all the other ramifications. He is a keystone recruit because keystone recruits are like keystone species in the wild. Um, A keystone species cannot do anything without the entire ecosystem being affected. Tim Tebow committed to Florida. You got defensive players like Brandon Spikes committing, saying, yeah, I think I want to play with Tebow. How many people's lives were changed? How many future recruiting trajectories were changed towards Gainesville that otherwise wouldn't have gone there if Tebow wasn't there? And then also... It just goes to show you, when, when you're a Keystone recruit, Deshaun Watson was this, I think, for Clemson. When you're a Keystone recruit, it doesn't just mean you have five stars next to your name. It doesn't just mean you can play. It means people are drawn to you. Certainly, eyeballs are drawn to you, but players are drawn to you. And every staff knows when they have one. That's your best recruiter. It's not your D-line coach. It's not your head coach. It, it's, it's not your strength and conditioning staff. It's not your trophy case. Your keystone recruits are the ones who recruit other players. And then they recruit kids in the next class, even if they never speak to them. Just because those kids in the next class say, wherever number 15's playing, yeah, that's where I want to go. I want to go play for that dude. Certainly don't want to play against him. That all happened because of one dude. That all happened because of Tim Tebow. The Tebow recruitment was like a circus, and it wasn't because he was into theatrics. It's a shock to the senses, by the way, when you watch the replay of Tebow committing to Florida. And he's live on SportsCenter on ESPN, and they say, Tim, where are you going to play your college football? Uh, Yes, thank you for the opportunity. I'll be playing my college football at the University of Florida. And then it's over, seven and a half seconds in. No hats, no live animals, no no cousin taking off a jacket and then taking off another jacket. (laughs) Different time, different time. And the one other thing from episode one that I took away was I think – I think bulletin board material is the most overrated thing in the world. I think external motivation, people doubting you, using disrespect, I think that stuff's so overrated. I think people getting nervous because someone said something on tape that could fuel the other team and and people just chewing their fingernails to the nubs on game week. Oh, I hope we didn't motivate them. It's such garbage. Like Mima always told me, games are won on signing day and games are won in the summer. You do not start to win a game the week of the game. You're not really making wholesale changes because you're hardwiring your team in the spring. Uh, Mentally, they're becoming what they're going to become in the spring and summer. And also, you got to get the players, period, on signing day. You're just fine-tuning things in the fall. You're installing a game plan on game week, but you're not developing yourself as a team the week of a game. I, I, I got Tennessee on Saturday. It's Tuesday. Let me get my guys ready to play Tennessee. Tennessee is about to hang 60 on you if that's when you're getting ready for Tennessee. And at any time you really get a glimpse inside a program, any coach that is worth his salt and honest will tell you, yeah, it's, it's about players and it's about mentality. Anyone who's around athletics tells you that. I think outsiders have not the slightest clue how football games are won. That's when they're won. They're won on signing day, you get the players, and then they're won in spring and summer when you're either beating what you need to beat into them or you're beating them down mentally to the point where they leave. It's not game week. It's not in the fall. It's not when football games are being won. So that's episode one. I'm through episode one. I don't know how far you guys are into it, but I've enjoyed it so far. I've heard criticisms. Trust me. I was on the phone right up until showtime. I've heard some criticisms. I need to make it through myself. See, there are some people who have already made it through who are telling me, I don't think they were critical enough. I don't think they dived deep enough into the more negative aspects of which there are several in this era. These were not, these were not choir children. Um, These were guys from all different walks of life that came together and were put in a pressure cooker environment intentionally designed that way. And 
they made a, a really, really good dish. It's just that it came with a little baggage. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to judge for myself. Maybe you guys are right. But I'm going to judge for myself. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got good news. I was in Indianapolis like three times this year already. But I was up there the other day, and I was riding around, and I'm thinking to myself, man, Indianapolis has everything, except we need more Academy Sports and Outdoors up here. And so good news for the fine people of Indianapolis, specifically there in Carmel. I wish it was Caramel, Indiana, but I know it's Carmel, Indiana. You got a new academy opening this week. In fact, anyone who can get over to 1960. East Greyhound Pass in Carmel, Indiana, this weekend when the grand opening happens. And you proved to me that you dropped some coin over there and represented us in the process. Could be Chalai of Supremacy on the line for you, too. Academy Sports and Outdoors has our back. They, in some cases, put the shirts on our very back. They make sure we can go on the road every single week of the season. They make sure the show is free to you. Oh, and by the way, they've got an immaculate, incredible selection of gear, everything from a basketball to a basketball goal to fishing gear to bikes. So Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all of those outdoor essentials you need and then some. And academy.com is where you can go if you can't get there in person. But Indianapolis, look, you guys ask me all the time, when am I going to get one in my backyard? You guys in Carmel, beg no more. 825, so three days from now. Got a grand opening happening all weekend. All right, it's time to predict some things. We're, we're a little into the show now. I think we can responsibly predict some things. And I want to address, as I um, say hey to you guys in the live chat. I think I said hey to you. Yeah, I said hey to you. I, I want to address Texas. And I want to address how good things could be for them this year, how bad things could be, how hmm, it'll probably go. But I want to I wanna talk about the JP poll versus the AP poll. So I have him at number six in the preseason. The AP poll has him at number 11. Predictably, I had some comments lobbed my way the other day when I revealed that. Texas hype. Are you buying into Texas hype? Well, it, apparently I am, but I don't think it's hype. I think there's substance behind it. This is not cotton candy. I think there's a lot of stake here. I ask people to do this. If you remove the logo, because everyone's emotional about the Texas logo. Everyone has a thought about the Texas logo. Well, take the logo away. Just look at the football players and put Alabama jerseys on them or, or put, I don't know, like Michigan jerseys on them. You wouldn't think this team's about to do some big things or you wouldn't think that team has potential. Like, really? You, you, if you put Southern Cal uniforms on this Texas team, every one of you would have that team in the playoff. Just you've got a stigma about Texas. Now, someone could come back at me and say, yeah, Josh, but that's part of it. That's, I, I have watched Texas fumble the bag horrifically, and therefore, that's baked into what Texas is to me. Okay, now, I disagree with you, but now we're getting somewhere. So let's talk about best case. Best case for Texas this year, 12-0. They can go undefeated. I, I see the eyes rolling. You guys aren't in the studio with me, but I know you. You know me. So I'm looking right through this camera. I'm looking at you guys. I got an A&M fan in Odessa rolling his eyes. I got someone in Johnson City, Tennessee rolling his eyes. I just want to know which game can they not win? Remember, this is best case. I'm going to do worst case. Don't worry. You'll, you'll get your crack in just a second. But follow me on best case. Which game can Texas not win? They're going to Bama. The line's under seven right now. You know how hard it is to be less than a seven-point dog at Alabama? LSU 2019. That's pretty much the list as of late. So... You got Quinn Ewers? Yeah. You got those wide receivers? Yeah. Dude, they got a defense. The thing about Texas that I'm starting to buy into more and more as we get more intel out of fall camp is even if the offense wasn't clicking on all cylinders to start the season, there's a world where they're winning games defensively. When's the last time you said that about Texas? They were having to outscore folks. 
they've got a really good defense. They got a run defense, man. Or, or, or they have fooled everyone. One of the two. So there's a 12 and 0 in the cards for Texas. You ready? Let's do worst case scenario. The worst case scenario for Texas this year, I think, would be seven and five. I don't accept the glass three quarters of the way empty philosophy that a lot of you have about this team, but I do have to acknowledge that it's possible in the worst of cases. So I see it. Like, and I understand Steve Sarkeesian hasn't been in the playoff as a head coach. He's not a guy who has stacked the kind of resume to where you remove all doubt. So there's a lot of faith, blind faith, that someone like me has that he can do it. The whole cannot versus have not thing. Well, in the worst case, offensive line's an issue for them all year. Our guy Chip Brown out at Horns 24-7 doing his confidence ratings, the unit-by-unit confidence ratings. Offensive line's been down the list a little bit. Well, what if that's just an all-season thing and offensive line is detrimentally a problem for them? as opposed to other problems that aren't detrimental. This is a detrimental problem for them. What if the running back room gets thin? Bijan's gone, Roshan Johnson's gone, but they've got two quality guys there, younger, but they got two quality guys there. Well, if injury is a concern, if pass pro and injury are concerns, then they could just lose a lot of close games. And also in the worst case, I say this a lot, this would entail either the rest of the conference being pretty good, better than you thought they would be, or maybe you just didn't elevate, like you didn't separate from them, in which case it's a dogfight every week and you end up on the negative end in those close games that's been a problem for Sark. You know, maybe that happens again. I want to know the most likely record scenario. The most likely record for Texas this year, I think, is 11-1. and So I'm all in. I haven't said that yet. I am all in. I think they are the preemptive favorite to win the Big 12. I think they are a bona fide college football playoff contender. I think it's the first year they've had the talent roster to do it. I think it's the first year they've had the line of scrimmage talent to do it. Love that they massively upgraded in the secondary, especially keeping Jalen Catalan healthy would be wonderful there. They've got so many different weapons offensively. And I think at this point, if you're betting against Texas, at least being a contender, I think it's more wishful thinking than reality. This is a good team. It's a really good team. Now that means nothing in August. It just means the potential's there. I haven't thought they've had this potential in years, and they've got it this year. So they have a very, very SEC caliber talent acquisition model going on right now. You're, you're going to have a casual friend in your midst who says, this is no different than any other year. Texas is always talented. They've always recruited well. And I have told you a million and one times now, they hadn't recruited like this. They haven't had talent like this, specifically on the lines of scrimmage. So that's what's different to me. That's what's different to me, and that's why I think they're going to go 11 and 1. At least that's what I think most likely is. And they're over unders nine and a half, so that's a solid over bet for me. We had a question earlier today that I, I'm going to pause and put some chapstick on. This kind of become a, become a tradition in the show. Maybe we should have some late kick chapstick in the Pate State store, which could open at any minute, by the way. Stay tuned. We got a question that I think we need to discuss for a second. So uh, Clemson Bias hit us up, totally unbiased from Clemson, South Carolina. Listen to this question. He said, you mentioned portal regret for the approaches leading up to FSU versus Clemson. What if the opposite happens? What if Clemson benefits from the continuity and development of high school recruits while FSU struggles with a team full of free agents? Great question. It's a huge story right now in the ACC. It's going to be a huge story nationally. So Meemaw once famously said, there's several ways to hoe a row. And some folks tried to silence her. They thought she was, she was spewing inappropriateness. She's not. It's a gardening reference. Like, I mean, have you, people, have you people lost your way so much that you haven't ever hoed a row? Like, come on now. Hoops Amongst Us hasn't hoed a row or two. Well, if you prefer skin the cat, then there are multiple ways to skin the cat. But what we're talking about here is different ways to put a roster together. So in college football, there are a few things that are just the way, things that are non-negotiables, things you have to do. You got to be good enough on the line of scrimmage. You got to be good enough at quarterback. And that doesn't mean insane arm talent. That means good decision-making, poise, uh, minimum baseline of accuracy, you know, stay out of prison, those sorts of things. You can't be losing the turnover game when, uh, week after week. You got to be pretty good on special teams. These things you have to do. But then there are other things that are optional. They're negotiable, in other words. 
And there are different ways you can put a roster together. There are different things you can emphasize. There are different styles of play you can have, different offenses you can run. One of the biggest sub-layers in college football right now, and one of the biggest talking points the week of this game, about a month and a half or so from now, is going to be transfer portal versus transfer portal denier. And you've got one team here in Florida State. Mike Norvell's lived in the portal. And then Dabo Swinney is totally allergic to it. And yet, Clemson's favored by three in their home building, which pretty much means odds makers are saying, these are even teams in our book. Have at it. Here's three points for home field advantage. It's a referendum game. It, I don't think it should be necessarily, but it's going to be viewed that way. Like the, Clemson could win this thing 30 to 27, and their fans will go, told you so. And if the opposite is true, and FSU wins it by three, they will burn it down up there in Clemson. We would have won this game if we had just gone in the portal a little bit like this guy, Mike Norvell, did. So it is so drastic, the difference in these two approaches. Norvell, since he got to Florida State, has taken 46 kids out of the portal. And in that same time frame, Dabo's taken two. I think they've both been backup quarterbacks. So they have not used the portal at all. <sighs> Which way is right? Do you have a thought on this, by the way? Which way is right? Because I think it's somewhere in between. Now, if I was Norvell, I'd do exactly what he's done. Like, if you're not going to give me a whole lot of rope, but you want me to rebuild a program, I'm going to do what Lincoln Riley's done. I'm going to do what Dion's done. I'm going to do what Hugh Freeze has done. I'm going to do what Mike Norvell did. I'm going to use every available talent acquisition mechanism at my disposal. That's what I'm going to do. Dabo disagrees. Uh, Dabo Swinney, to make it very clear to you, has voluntarily ignored the transfer portal. Oh, he's not ignored it. He has not gone shopping in the transfer portal, nearly to the degree that anyone else has. So let's just say there's a world where FSU goes into Death Valley and wins this year, the regular season game. I don't know. They may rematch for all I know. But let's say they were to go in there. I'm very curious how Dabo Swinney would handle that because I know what the talk would be, but he's the head coach there. He doesn't have to participate in that. But remember this time last year, for those who think that he would be resolute and steadfast and never change. What well, he had elevated, I think, Streeter to offensive coordinator this time last year. I was critical of it. I'm hardly ever critical of personnel decisions because I don't know what goes into them. So it's really kind of dumb of me to criticize him. But I thought I knew enough about the move at Clemson. I thought Dabo just dug his heels in and thought that they were a little bit different over there and therefore they could elevate anyone because the Clemson culture would be the wind and the sails that carried them to whatever finish line they were aiming for. That wasn't the case. They weren't good enough. Uh, that, that was not as good an offensive coordinator hire as he could have had. And he was steadfast in it. Well, guess what? He fired the guy one year in, and he goes and gets the highest profile, hottest name on the market in Garrett Riley and brought him in. Well, that's a reversal of thinking on Dabo's part. Now, I credit him. You could criticize him, but if he, if he hit the dump button one year in, that's hard to do. Plus, there's an immense pride thing there. That wasn't done in the shadows. They failed on, on very, very like big platforms, white hot spotlight. That's not easy to do. So I credit him for doing it. Well, if that were to happen this year and Mike Norvell and Florida State win the ACC, I think Dabo Swinney would rethink some things. It would be a dereliction of your duty at that point not to. Once again, this is not a case where everyone who is, who is using the portal is crashing and burning and, and has 47 internal issues that you're absolving yourself from. Some of them are doing great in this scenario. Florida State would be doing great. You really think that fan base or that coaching staff, for that matter, is going to look and say, so these dudes in Tallahassee have the same access to the pool of talent we do. We're just choosing to ignore it uh, because, of, because of a principle or a value that while it's admirable, we stick to it doesn't really have to be adhered to. There's another way we can do this, and we don't sacrifice our morals whatsoever. It's not detrimental to the program. If we, if we take the same guys out of the portal based on the same characteristics we use to take guys out of high school, why would you ignore that wholesale? I'm not saying bring 13 or 14 of them per cycle in, but if you don't think three or four kids per cycle could be a big difference in a game like this at Clemson, you're crazy. Think about what... Um, I'm not saying they could have had him, but I'm saying, think about what going and competing for a Keon Coleman 
out of Michigan State would have done for the Clemson wide receiver room. Well, instead, he's in Tallahassee, you know, so you're going to have to play against him this year. It doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense. I understand where Dabo's head is. I don't necessarily think it would be my approach. And so if they win 48 to 17 this year, who cares? Moot point. Dabo dunked on the nation again. If it doesn't turn out that way, I think there would be some rethinking there. That's how I think that would play out. Yeah. So good luck predicting that. Bold prediction time. This is chapter 33. I said the other day was chapter 33. This is actually chapter 33. So bold predictions coming from you to me. You guys claim you believe in this. Well, let's see how much you believe in it because we got a lot of boldness in the batch that you sent in tonight. I love the first one. The first one's from Dean from Littleton, Colorado. He said, no conference favorite will win their conference title. Well, wouldn't this be chaotic, Af? So Dean says, Georgia? Nope. Texas? Mm Mm-mm. Clemson? Absolutely not. USC? Sorry. Ohio State? Nope. Now, I think that you, just like me, could look at this or listen to that list that I just gave you, and you could say, oh, I could see Bama winning the SEC. Oh, I could see Oregon or Washington winning the Pac-12. I could see Oklahoma winning the Big 12 or Kansas State or whomstever. I could see Michigan. Most of you probably think Michigan's going to win the Big 10. I could see Florida State. Well, yeah, in and of themselves, none of those are too crazy. You need every one of those favorites to falter, though. And that's why this is a 9.25 on the boldness scale. Now, Dean, here's what would be really crazy. Since you already started us down the road, what if it's not Bama that wins the SEC? What if it's like Tennessee? What if it's not Oklahoma? What if it is Kansas State or Texas Tech? What if it's not Florida State that wins the ACC? What if it's, I don't know, Louisville or someone like that? What if it's Penn State instead of Michigan? What if my Oregon Ducks out there, number five, all of a sudden they're mine now, number five, what if it's not them? What if it's Oregon State? Number 15, I think, in the JP poll. And my point is, you could have a chaos season. We could be on the precipice. We could be on the brink. You and I, you and I, Dean, we could be on the brink of something really, really crazy happening this year. I, I think all the signs are there. I think I might have to do another Dante's Peak metaphor before the season starts. I really, I feel it coming, immunity, and so I think I'm going to have to do one. Next up. I should have mentioned NC State here. Braxton from Gastonia, North Carolina, where they play really good men's slow-pitch softball, I'm told. Braxton said NC State will win 10 games or more this year. 10 is the magic number in Raleigh because that is what Dave Doran has failed to do. Dave Doran came there in 20... He's been there 10 years already? Dave Doran came there in 2013. Here are the number of wins per year. 3, 8, 7, 7, 9, 9, 4, 8, nine, eight. So he got three nine-win seasons, got a couple of eight, got three eight-win seasons, has not had a 10-win season. Six and a half is the over-under win total for NC State. I was on Pack Pride the other night on the YouTube channel there for our NC State team site. I think I told them, and I, I think I'll tell you guys, I think NC State is so anonymous as a Power Five program nationally. They shouldn't be, though. They're parked in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's a really big media market. I don't think NC State has ever properly like harnessed Raleigh. I don't think if you live in, let's say, Dallas, Texas, when you think of North Carolina State, I do not think you guys think of Raleigh, North Carolina. That is a, that is a failure in marketing. Um, winning on the football field would, would probably help there, but you got you to gotta leverage Raleigh. You got to do that. And the other thing you got to do is... You got to have Brennan Armstrong come through for you this year. If you're going to win 10 games, which is a nine and a half on the boldness scale, by the way, if you're going to win 10 games, Brennan Armstrong, who transferred there from Virginia with his offensive coordinator, uh, he got to be really good. Got to be really good. And those wide receivers have to round into form and you got to win. You probably have to upset either Notre Dame or I think they get Clemson at home, I believe. But this is tough. They play four of the top five in the ACC and Notre Dame. So that's, that's tough. Six and a half. I'm, I think they're going over the win total. I don't think they're going to hit 10 this year. Next up, interesting prediction here. Cody from Montgomery, Alabama. Do we know anyone else from Montgomery? I know someone from Millbrook 
who sold out and left Montgomery. I don't know anyone from Montgomery now, I don't think. Anyway, Cody said Alabama has two rushers over 1,000 yards this year. You know, I said the other day, I think Bama could lead the SEC in rushing this year. So you would think that I'm buying into this happening. I actually don't think it's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to be for a lack of rush yardage. I just think it's going to be spread a little bit too far around the running back room and quarterback position for two guys to isolate and elevate. I think they'll have one 1,000-yard rusher. Maybe it's Jace McClellan. Maybe it's Roydell Williams. Maybe it's Jalen Milrow. Milrow, in the two games he started last year, I think had 172 rushing yards. So he could do that. I don't think that they're going to have a couple thousand yard rushers, though. And I think they're going to have really, really good rushing numbers this year. I just think they'll, sp- they'll be spread too thin. You know, Jameer Gibbs last year didn't have a thousand. They didn't run the ball nearly as much as they will this year. He had 926 last year. So I think this is an eight and a half. Not crazy. I don't think it'll happen, but I think it could be the kind of year where they have like four or five guys over 450 rushing yards with, with one of them at 1,200, another one at 740, uh, a quarterback with 650, like that kind of thing. Next up and last for bold predictions tonight. This would be a, a spear. This would be a dagger to the ribs out in the Pac-12. Keith from Columbia, South Carolina said, the Pac-12 has no top 10 team after conference title Saturday. I made this a nine. Pac-12 paid here. Hand across chest, right between the boobs, right there. Hand across chest. I think they're going to have one. I think they may have two. So hear me out here. In the JP poll, we have Oregon number five in the preseason. We have USC number 10. In the AP, they have USC number six and Washington number 10. So in the preseason, each of us has two teams out of the Pac-12 in the top 10. We got four months of football to play, though. You could either have wipeout happen out there or you could have ascension happen. So wipeout would be obviously everyone beating everyone and you just got a bunch of good but no great. Ascension would mean a couple of teams or at least one team starts to elevate and separate themselves and they're going to go 10 and 2 or better. Voila, there's my top 10 team. Now, obviously, I'm high on Oregon. I think USC's got what it takes. If there is health and improvement in the secondary, I think Washington has what it takes. I think someone's going to rise, maybe two. So this is a nine for me. I think the Pac-12 will have at least one top 10 team. I think I know that. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to take a sip from the chalice, and you can just think about this. What do you think LSU's record is going to be this year? Did I hear someone just say six and six? I think I did. Well, I don't think they're going to go six and six. Um, what, what crazy times last year, by the way? Do I want to talk about this, Colin? Yeah. All right. Here, here's our end point, Colin. What do you think LSU's record is going to be this year? Because I, um, I think very highly of LSU, but I want to remind you something. I want to remind you of how crazy this world we live in is. Last year's hater has become this year's hyper. There are, there are people out there. If you look at the Venn diagram, okay, in the overlap area, there are people in that overlap area that were telling me Brian Kelly's not going to amount to anything in this conference who are now telling me he's going to win the West and possibly win the SEC this year. Like, how do you people sleep at night? Uh, I sleep at night because I never said such foolish things. So I, I'm free to pick them to win the West if I want to. We're not going to do that until maybe Thursday night, maybe Sunday night, but we will do that in the next two shows. But I think the best case for LSU this year is 11-1. and one. As much as I was hyping them up there, I think the aggregate of their schedule, the totality of their schedule is such that I don't think there's an undefeated card in the deck. They don't need to go undefeated. Even if their one loss was to Bama and Bama went undefeated, LSU's probably in the playoff if they go 11-1. and one. This would involve them being proven and dynamic at quarterback, which they are. It would involve beneath Malik neighbors, you know, guys like Brian Thomas, some of those other receivers just slotting in perfectly and them having a really, really dynamite wide receiver stable. Their defensive line, linebacker core, has the potential to be elite. They're really deep there. Just stay healthy and perform as you can. They're just that good. In the best case of scenarios, they're just that good. Uh, There's some teams every year. The 2019 LSU team, I remember. I'm not comparing the two. Don't get me wrong. 
I remember in 2019, there were people who looked at that team in the preseason and they said, mm, three losses maybe. And then week over week, you just realize, no, they're just better than I thought they were. This happens every year. It's not like there were secret players or anything. It's just that collection of players is better than you thought they'd be. Maybe LSU's a little bit better than even you think they'll be, and people already think they're going to be pretty good. Well, 11-1 and would be really good. The worst case for LSU this year is 7-5, and and that involves the secondary biting them. So they, they've already had discipline issues in the secondary with Denver Harris. If they just have depth issues there, or if those players just aren't as good as you hope they are, you got some teams on the schedule that can burn you and burn you badly. And if you have to get into track meets and you have to have Jaden Daniels playing catch up, you know, in a, in a pinball kind of game, I don't think that's his strong suit. And so that could happen. I think your front seven could wear down if that's the case because you can't get off the field because your secondary continues to give up third and longs after third and longs. And if you're unable to run the ball effectively as well, then that, that leads to that defensive front seven being on the field a whole lot longer than they should. So seven and five is the worst case. But the most likely record for LSU, I think, is 10 and two. I think they're going to be really good again this year. That's a double-digit win season for LSU. It's the same thing I said with the worst case. But I think if you, if you aggregate their schedule together, it is, it is very tough. It's just tough not to lose some games. It's hard. It doesn't matter how good you are. The league they play in, the division they play in, very, very difficult. So the, the game-wrecking potential they have in their defensive front is the kind of thing that, even if you're struggling offensively, could win games for you. And there's just random weeks. Like you go... I want you to look at the three-game stretch. It's not the one you think. They play at Mississippi State, Arkansas, and then at Ole Miss, and then Missouri. So they go at Missouri 10-7. That is October 7th. That's their third road game in four weeks. Georgia went up there last year and almost got beat. Just picture yourself in an unexpected dogfight at Missouri. You cannot move the ball to save your life for whatever reason, and it's Harold Perkins and it's Mason Smith, and it's those guys just blowing up the Missouri front, forcing three turnovers, and you win the game 23-16, to 16, and only 10 of the points were offensive or something like that. I know that fraction doesn't make sense, but that's the kind of thing they can do with their front. And also, if they go 10-2, and two, it probably means we're looking and we're seeing separation. You got Georgia, probably. I would think Bama's a part of this, but you would have LSU as a part of it. Instead of looking at Georgia maybe by themselves and then everyone else a tier below, if you're going 10 and 2 or better with that schedule, you have separated yourself a little bit. So I think the most likely record I think it's 10 and 2, which would also be an over there. And if they're 10 and 2, I know we've never had it happen. I know we have not had a two-loss team in the playoffs. LSU's got the fifth best odds to win the national title right now. Never say never. Never say never. All right, to close the show tonight, we've got a really, really good question. I asked you guys earlier today, you got some questions for me. Um, oh, you know what? I, I should do this later in the show because a lot of you are here now. It's the same thing I've always done. Check and see if you're subscribed to the channel. And if you're not, just click subscribe. We're very close to 200K. Very close. We may not even have to sweat it. So let's just, just get us over the finish line. So one of you asked me earlier today, in fact, here it is, Mike from Tuscaloosa asked me earlier today, what are some opportunities for unranked teams to beat top five teams? Mike, I had to expand this a little bit because there were some games I wanted to talk about. They didn't quite fit your parameters. So here's what I did. I went and found games that feature highly ranked teams versus teams that are much lower ranked than them. I apologize in advance. Because I want to talk to you about Oregon at Texas Tech in week two. Um, this is on everyone at Oregon's radar, I promise you that. But totally unfamiliar surroundings for the Ducks. They're going to Lubbock, Texas in week two. Straw poll of that roster, including the coaching staff. How many of you have been to Lubbock? Nay. How many of you could readily pinpoint Lubbock, Texas on a map? And Texas is a big state. So... You, you could just hope to guess right, and you probably wouldn't. Tyler Shuck is the quarterback at Texas Tech. 
One of the most famous stats on this show this summer has been he is undefeated in games that he starts and finishes at Texas Tech. Great stat to have, by the way. You know where he came from? Oregon. So it's a big game for him. Um, If you have wobbly parts on your team, this is where they get exposed. Oregon, uh, I think, plays a very, very light opponent in week one, and you go on the road, and this is who you play. This is your first real test, and it's a road test nonetheless. So I, I think this is one to watch, and this week two, it's like out-of-conference mania for the Big 12 in week two. I wish I could spread these games out more. This is the same day Texas goes to Bama, same day Utah goes to Baylor. Like It's a wild day. Um, week three, I got one for you. Big point spread on this game. I'm not overlooking South Carolina at Georgia in week three. I was talking to a Georgia staffer the other day. He said, yeah, we're not either. Like, they're good football players on that team. Georgia's favored by, I think, 23 or 24 in this game. It's in Athens. It is also a situation where Georgia will not have been tested yet. South Carolina's already played North Carolina in Charlotte, so not at home. We'll call it a road game. And Spencer Rattler in hero mode, is capable of pushing Georgia to the wire. I'm thinking like Steven Garcia against Bama circa 2010, that kind of performance. Uh, if, if, he, if he shifts into hero mode, and if we also find out that maybe the Georgia pass rush isn't getting home, uh, who knows? You know, maybe Juice Wells is back at wide receiver. So uh, maybe Trey Knox is back at tight end. If all that happens, and I think there are a couple of other things that would have to happen for this, Special teams would have to be decidedly edge South Carolina, and they would have to steal a couple of turnovers, probably steal a couple of possessions. Uh, If all that stuff happens, which if it's going to happen against Georgia to be earlier in the year, I think it'd be right here. Crazier things have happened. Not much crazier, but crazier things have happened. Let's keep an eye on that one. Uh, Also in week three, and no one's talking about this one nationally yet, Penn State goes to Illinois. I mentioned this earlier in the show. So Penn State goes to Illinois in week three. Illinois is sitting there with Luke Altmeyer starting at quarterback for him. And everywhere else offensively, they feel good. So now they've got the box checked at quarterback because Brett Bielema said, we actually have never felt better about quarterback. O-line's good, man. Three wide receivers up there they really love. They love a couple of running backs they have. They're, they're just not a bad team. And your first road start, if you're Drew Aller, is going to Illinois in week three. Um, I, I think this could be a dogfight for them, candidly. So there's not going to be a huge spread on this game either. If you're expecting, you know, Penn State minus 20 on the road, you're not getting that. You'll probably get Penn State minus single digits on the road. So everybody's looking ahead to the Ohio State game and the Michigan game. Don't look past this game, man. There's big, big upset potential on that one. And staying in the Big Ten, but going to week six, I, look, I did, I didn't want to, Colin. I tried to slow down because I know you don't get to use that Illinois B-roll a whole lot. I apologize, but I got a bedtime tonight. So Michigan at Minnesota in week six, also not being talked about. I got a few things to remind you of here. This is the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch for Michigan. Not many challenging hurdles on this schedule and tells you something that this is where we're having to go to define challenging for Michigan. But uh, check out that little two-week stretch there. They go to Nebraska, 930. And then they go to Minnesota, 10-7. Minnesota, how do I describe them? They're a little bit different. If you're around the team and uh, you talk about the way they go about things, I have never heard a group of people collectively say, this place is not for everyone, more than I hear Minnesota players say that. So if you bottle up the performance of the year, if, if, you know, the week before Jeff Sims has had a big day against Michigan and took him to the wire and it was a full four quarter game. And now they got to go into your building. Maybe you sneak attack them early. Maybe you pop a couple of scores on them and you're up 13 to three or, or 17 to seven. And you make JJ McCarthy kind of revert into the form he had to be against TCU. And that's trying to trade punches through the air instead of just taking the air out of the ball like you want to. Maybe they got a shot there. If they don't, then you're waiting until well later in the year for anyone to try and upset Michigan. So, not predicting any of those, but if you want some completely out of left field upset potential, there you go. 
I, I think recruiting is the name of the game in college football, but I also think it's the name of the game on our show. I have gotten, and I kid you not, hundreds upon hundreds, I don't think we're in the thousands, but several hundred of you have sent me pictures, like screenshots of you subscribing to the channel on other people's devices. And as of now, it's not illegal. Just frowned upon by the government, but not illegal. So uh, my message to you is keep doing it because we'll take those 200,000 subs by any means necessary. We're almost there. I think we're going to get it done. I got full confidence in us. Management will not win. We will prevail. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back here same time Thursday night. Until then, take care and God bless.